0: Welcome to the Bar Hacks Podcast, engaging interviews, plus tips and strategies to navigate your bar or restaurant business towards sustainable success. Now, here's your host, hospitality industry veteran, journalist,
1: and editor, David Klempz. Hey, welcome back to the Bar Hacks Podcast. I hope you're well. I know it's been a couple weeks I was out of the office, but I am back, and I'm back with a fantastic guest. He is the director of mixology at the Fairmont Royal York in downtown Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This is the first bar I went to in December 2021 when Canada opened up the border restrictions. I went to the library bar with my business partner, Doug Radke. And on top of overseeing the library bar, James Grant also oversees Clockwork, the lobby bar at the Fairmont Royal York, as well as the program at Rain, which is the restaurant on site. So he is a busy person with a lot of beverage programs to look over in a very cool, very luxurious spot. James, how's it going? It's
0: good, man. It's good. Yeah. It's a lot of be- uh, a lot of beverage programs. It kind of keeps me busy.
1: <laughs> oh, I bet. And when I saw the uh program for myself a couple of years ago, yeah. Just at the library bar got a lot going on, and the line was out the door. So it was it a- usually <laughs> is. <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> so I do want to talk about that property, obviously, but first I wanted to learn how you got your start in hospitality.
0: Ooh, um, my start in hospitality was like I took a serving job in university and really didn't like um, and left the industry for almost a decade. But I got my start in bartending uh, when I was living in London about 10, 11 years ago now and could not pay my rent, couldn't get a job in in the field that I was had been working in before, which was public relations. And so I just googled bartender resume and made up a fake resume and sent it out and ended up starting behind the bar at a local tap room
1: that's awesome and
0: yeah you know it's that's what kind of made me fall in love with looking after guests and hosting hosting people and when i moved back to canada about a year later i started working in cocktail bars
1: it's kind of like pr i mean you are definitely you're the face of a venue and you are engaging everybody directly and telling the story so i mean kind of close it's funny
0: that you say that i i always look at kind of the jobs that i've done over the years whether it was like you know like a lot of people like work retail at one point then i did pr i also for a little while worked as a funeral director and like everyone's like those are such weird different jobs but really you're not wrong it's all talking to people figuring out what they want making them feel like they're being listened to and taken care of and then kind of giving them what they need in that moment. So uh, I think it's a pretty, a pretty straight line in a lot of weird ways. Job one through to what I do now.
1: What was it about being behind the bar that really convinced you to pursue the career? I mean, quite a lot of things there, there really
0: is that immediate satisfaction of, you know, being able to change someone's evening just through what you say to them, or the drink that you make them what what you kind of serve them. But also that knowledge that you know you're working with your hands, which feels really satisfying, uh, and that I could probably you know I realized I could learn something new every day about cocktails or spirits or wine or beer and never get to the bottom of that rabbit hole, which was really exciting. you know like as if I'm not learning something, then I probably need to find a new job. So I just I always yeah. felt like it was a job that I found very, very satisfying. you know, like a lot of times when you work in an office, You know, I might get home at the end of the night and I would be really mentally tired, but like physically just like still ready to go. Whereas when I finish a shift behind the bar, I'm just like, I know that I put in a full day's work and I'm just like toast. And that's a good feeling. (laughs) Honestly, it's it's uh, it's one of the things that I say to a lot of like bartenders that work with me now because everyone gets into bartending for different reasons. But to stay in bartending, you I think to take a a genuine satisfaction in looking after people because you know it's hard on you physically it's hard on you emotionally and mentally but if what you really love is looking after people that's what's going to kind of get you behind the bar night after night rather than you know money or social media follows or you know ego or whatever
1: that sort of relates to my next question and that is on top of this fantastic position you're in, you're also the 2021 Diageo World Class Bartender of the Year. And Mm -hmm. I believe it was Canada's 100 best gave you Bartender of the Year in 2022. So do you feel that competition is important for someone who wants to move up? I mean,
0: yes. I, I don't think competitions are for everybody. I know a lot of great bartenders who have never done a bartending competition. But for me, it was... The right avenue i started bartending like i started cocktail bartending in what is a relatively small market in canada which itself is a relatively small market globally so i knew that if i wanted to put my name on the map and and connect with leaders in the industry doing competitions was probably the fastest route to do that you know from starting out as like a bartender no one knew in edmonton which is kind of like smack dab in the middle of like the most desolate part of of Canada, um, immediately, all of a sudden, like if I started doing all competitions, everyone in my city kind of started to know who I was. And then everyone in the province started to know who I was. And then as I started going to national finals, I'm connecting to bartenders coast to coast and I'm presenting to industry leaders in Canada. And then eventually getting to go to a global final, all of a sudden you're presenting to some of the top bartenders globally. And that ability to make those connections is so valuable to someone that's trying to you know, build a profile in a an industry that is still really built on kind of like a verbal exchange of of information and so i look at a lot of the things that i'm doing now whether it's bringing you know international bars here to the hotel or you know i was just in new york doing a takeover at clover club which you know is kind of a trip for a young bar. like i still think back to like when i started bartending like i told myself hey you know what you're going to be doing guest shift with Julie Reiner at Clover Club, like one of the most legendary bars in in New York, I would never have believed it. But that came directly out of, you know, Julie and I having built a friendship after she judged me in several competitions. So, you know, competitions aren't for everybody, but you do get out of them what you put in. And you can win a competition without winning it. You know, if you go and know exactly what you want to achieve, whether it's building connections with other people in your industry, pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, developing new techniques learning about new spirits or just developing recipes that you can bring back and serve to your guests like if you are going to a competition so you get better and are better at your job for the other 99 of the time you're bartending which let's be honest is your job then it's not a wasted effort but there are tons of ways to sort of build those if you don't want to do competition you know there's there's conferences and and staging and just traveling to visit other bars but for me the fastest route to do it was competition
1: so you just mentioned staging and for maybe listeners who have never even tried to do that how would you recommend someone you know is like hey i want to do a couple hours with you guys or i want to spend a week with you guys at, at this bar like is there a tip or a trick you can say for doing it? just reach out on instagram i mean
0: I I mean, reaching out through Instagram is kind of tough.
1: It's it can it can work.
0: But it is also one of those things where it's always easier to ask those questions if you have an existing connection. Like if you've been to, you know, Tales of the Cocktail or another similar sort of industry conference, and you've had the opportunity to meet someone, you know, when, whenever I like meet someone that I'm interested in working with in the future, like I always follow up, you know, I'll connect with them through social media. If they give me a card, I'll send them an email just sort of, again, to refresh their memory of who I am, what we talked about. And then once you've built that relationship, it is easier to go from there to sort of say like, hey, I'm actually going to be in your city for a week. Is there like an afternoon where maybe I could hang out with you guys while you do prep or, or kind of just sit in and, you know, bar back? Some properties are good about it. Some are not. Like, I wouldn't say you're going to have much luck reaching out to, you know, the the number, like, if you reach out to your favorite bar and it's the number one bar in in the country, like, odds are they don't have time to kind of have an extra person behind the bar with them. Like, they're already running a very well-oiled machine. Also, you know, we've had people reach out to us here, like, oh, I'd love to, you know, come and see how you do things at the library bar. It's like, well, we're a, we're a giant hotel with a unionized staff. Like, I can't just bring... Someone in it's it's there's a lot of ways that um, it can work and can't work. I would say honestly the most important thing if you want to learn something from a bartender or a bar that you really admire, reaching out to them and just asking those questions is a really good way to do it. Rather than you know flying all the way to their city and like being in the bar, build sure. that relationship up through a few questions and an actual conversation. Because one of the nice things about this industry is we're all pretty generous with our time and knowledge. Like our job is to be welcoming to other people. And that I think should extend to other people in our industry. So oftentimes you can get the kind of answers that you're looking for through just kind of an email or, or a phone call or, you know, a zoom conversation, something like that. And then once you've sort of built that up, then that's the time where you can be like, Hey, I'm actually going to be in your city. You think we could do a guest shift? Like, uh, and then you kind of get the best of both worlds right you go in you see how their prep facilities work you see how their team works and you actually get to bartend
1: so you did mention edmonton where you managed and bartended at little hong kong a i think it's a 16 seat speakeasy and i uh eight, I 18 18
0: 16 to 18 depending on how we set it up but yeah
1: i think it was i think Within the past few years, at least, it was ranked like number three bar in Canada, I want to say. So that's pretty impressive. But what lessons as a bar manager did you learn that you can share with the listeners?
0: Man, I it is hard to sort of summarize them all. That bar really shaped me into the bartender I am now. It's uh, like, as you say, it was an 18-seat speakeasy with no menu and... By and large, I was the only person working in the room. So I'm not only greeting every guest, I'm running the drinks, making the drinks, figuring out what they are, clearing the table, setting the music. Like It it really taught me how to set the tone of a room, how to speak to any guest, how to think really quickly, how to improvise, how to identify when guests need that extra touch, I really think that a room like that is very, very valuable for any bartender because in previous bars, you know, I might try to talk to a guest and, you know, you just don't have that natural rapport immediately. So, you know, you try a couple times and you tag in the other bartender that you're working with. It's like, hey, can you like chat to this guest? Like they're not really feeling me for whatever reason. But in that room, it's like everyone in the room kind of has to like me or at least be okay with me and I need to be able to chat to all of them. So that taught me a lot about how to just engage with all kinds of guests, how to make drinks for all different tastes. It was a pretty special space. Before that, I never really thought too much about, you know, the way the lighting was set or the music that was playing in the room, because I would be playing the music that I wanted to hear. But when you're in a room and you're seeing this, like, microcosm of a, of a bar space, and you can tell that, like, the music that's playing is shaping everyone's energy in the room and like you can kind of be like okay it's getting really it's getting really rowdy in here maybe i need to like dial the music back a bit or you know it's a friday night and it's like actually let's go for it so you like put on a a more upbeat tune all of a sudden the energy level goes up even more it's like it is really fun to be able to control the whole space like that
1: and i know this is a speakeasy and this is maybe a, a weird question but they've been on my mind lately speakeasies partially because of social media there are no secret bars anymore, I feel like, or or the secret gets out so quickly and now it's not really a speakeasy. It's a hot spot to say that I went to. But for sure. If somebody wants to open a successful speakeasy, what's like what are one or two tips you would give? Like it's you need to do this or need to consider this if you're going to make a speakeasy work.
0: It's such a tough question to answer. I was I was also talking about speakeasies the other day with someone like being in New York. Obviously, that's like there's so many. going to milk and honey going to pdt and yeah obviously there's like the whole idea of like oh it should be like a, a hidden entrance and it's it's tough because there there are these kinds of bars where it's almost predicated on this idea of exclusivity or you know part of the thrill of being in a speakeasy is that other people don't know about it or aren't there and as someone who's like really wants everyone to feel welcome in his in his bar. Right. <laughs> it it feels a little bit at odds with with what I think my job is. But I think that speakeasies tend to be very intimate spaces. They're meant to be places where, you know, historically people could go to to do something that wasn't allowed, you know, like that needed to be kind of hidden away. Uh, and I think that the best versions of speakeasies are these places that feel very intimate they feel very transportative. Like typically they, they don't really have windows because, you know, historically the cops could see in and, and know that you were drinking. So I think speakeasies have this opportunity to really shape a very cohesive space where you can control every element of it and you can really shape the experience for the guests, which I think is what they have to offer that's so incredible against other bars. Like you you really can transport someone once they move through that secret door. You know, you you control everything they see and hear uh, and can create something very, very special. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I think that makes for a very special speakeasy. And there's a certain degree of intimacy between the bartender and the guest, I think, in the best versions of them. You know, like going to a bar like Hanky Panky in Mexico City is a really good example. Or Handshake in Mexico City, yeah. where, you know, from the outside, it's a very nondescript door. But then once you go inside, it's like rowdy and it's fun and the bartenders are engaged with you and you feel like you are a part of something special.
1: We have that one like that here where it's uh very unassuming. You have to know what to look for. I mean, you can find out it's on social media, but when you're in the bar, you don't think it's going to be as rowdy as it is, but it's, it's, it's awesome. It's a mescal bar mo- ma- mainly. So you're going to be doing some interesting drinking in there, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a party in there and people on the other side of the door really don't seem to know, which cracks me up. But on the flip side, I went to one and I'm not going to say which one it was. This is years ago. Speaking of the entrance, it was inside of another business and they did seatings at certain times. And I think that backfired because I was like, oh, I'll go hang out in the space before I'm supposed to go in and I'll get something to eat. And this giant mass of people walked in for the first seating and just stood against a wall. And I was like, "Oh, I know exactly where they're going." Kind of ruin the overall effect when there's just a huge line into a speakeasy.
0: Yeah, especially when like I I love I do love when the entrance is inside another business, especially when that other business is also really popular for what it's doing. Like, you know, PDT very famously is inside crypt Dogs in New York, but it, it is funny to look around the room in, in crypt Dogs where you're like, "Did anyone here in here to eat a hot dog, or is everyone in here to get into?" the speakeasy but i mean when i'm there like i'm also like very happy that when i'm waiting i can have you know a bottled paloma and eat a hot dog True. it's like I a nice way like that yeah it's a nice way to spend your time
1: <laughs> now you are the director of mixology at fairmont royal york i did it right this time listeners you don't know but i kept saying royal oak for like a good five minutes <laughs> we we got- <laughs> but uh how did that role come to you
0: it was suggested to me by a friend who runs world class canada who runs that whole program we were doing an event together and he mentioned to me that my predecessor was actually moving on to a different fairmont property he's now assistant food and beverage director at the fairmont in seattle doing a great job out there and it was one of those things he's like you should apply for it and i thought i mean running an 18 seat tiny bar i am not qualified to run the beverage program of a 1200 room hotel You know it's so daunting but i ended up you know throwing my my name into the ring and you know went back and forth for about a month with them and it turned out that their goals really closely aligned with what my professional goals were and here here i am
1: i mean you're working for a a very well-known property downtown toronto i mean the F and B scene is great. It's definitely a place to see and be seen. I mean, when I went in there, I was very impressed. But when you are tasked with coming up with these programs, I mean, did you get to spend time in on the property or in the venues to get a feel for them before you did anything? I mean, did the vibe kind of steer your programming?
0: Yes. So when I when I first came on board, you know, I definitely had ideas and I had certain preconceived notions of what I thought the outlets on the property were. But the first three or four months that I was actually on site, I didn't change anything, you know, and and it was getting to the point that like some of the some of the staff were like, are we going to get a new menu or what I was really trying to do was figure out the identity of each venue, like, who are the clientele? What is working about this venue? Where is there room for improvement? And getting to know the actual service than bar teams because if I just come in with a machete and like gone through the menu and just been like no dumb stupid get out of here I wouldn't necessarily have the respect of the team and I wouldn't have buy-in on any of the changes that I wanted to make and you know I am no longer behind the bar here so I'm not actually making drinks for guests I rely on my bar team and my service team to sell and make the drinks and if they don't believe in them they're not going to so those first three months we're learning you know, who goes to library bar and what kind of drinks do they enjoy and and how can we sort of build a program that fits that space and where can we push it in certain ways and what kind of core things do we need to keep? Clockwork was, you know, what are they drinking there? What styles of drinks? And it, it was really figuring out also how do we make each cocktail program and each outlet feel distinct and in line with the food program there or the wine program. So you know, library bar. We ended up deciding was kind of our classic cocktail bar. That's really where we have the it's where we have the biggest menu. We have about twenty drinks, and we really push the envelope of what we can do. So that's where we use most of our you know kind of wilder techniques and and, and flavor profiles, and we try to have something for everybody. But I mean, no bar is always going to have everything for everybody. Clockwork is more classic lobby lounge. It's kind of where we say like people tend to want to see and be seen so they're more aperitif style cocktails sparkling wine white spirits a little bit more approachable and then rain being our kind of restaurant bar it is the classic hotel bar that i always think of like it is a smaller menu it's classics and modern classics done with a slight twist but you know there were certain drinks on that menu that you know we needed an old-fashioned we needed like a whiskey highball we needed a margarita like we needed those styles of drinks because that's what people expect when they go there so we still get to push things a little bit but yeah it was it was kind of coming to grips with just what the property is and what i could do hi there just a quick message before we get you back to this episode If you're looking to take your bar, restaurant, or hospitality business to the next level, I mean, to profits of 12 to 15% or more, it's time to take action. Let's start creating your roadmap to success with our proprietary
1: strategies, tools, resources that will inspire your team, activate your potential, and lead your hospitality brand to margins you never thought possible. Visit krghospitality.com right after this episode for more information. Now, back to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Where do you find your inspiration for cocktails? I know this is a a weird question to ask because, I mean, everyone, creatives have their own. You know, we we all look at everything and it could inspire us. But, I mean, are you going through your old cocktail books or does an idea just hit you, like, just pop into your head and you want to pursue it with the bar team?
0: So it depends on the outlet in a lot of ways. With, for instance, like Rain... Rain is sort of styled as kind of the classic manor house dining experience. And so to build that menu, I really dug into the history of the hotel and looked at, you know, what this hotel has kind of been and what it's meant to people in Toronto since it first opened. Because it is sort of where we express that slightly more classic feeling. In clockwork, that's where I do I find a bit more research out of my typical wheelhouse. I've the first menu we built and it was kind of around the idea of time. Uh, the next menu we're working on right now, we're trying to nail down exactly what that theme is going to be. But the room is dominated by this giant astrological clock that was built. And so I always feel like that is going to express itself in certain ways. So like I do a lot of reading about time or, you know, the I was reading a lot about like astronomy and like clockmaking and just trying to like take inspiration from like these elements. Whereas library bar, those menus are always built on stories. And a story can be anything, film, movie, book, poem, song, painting, like any of the ways that we as people have used to tell stories throughout history. And so those are the menus that like the the library bar menu is the one that I always kind of find is the most natural for me. My background is in writing and English literature. That's what I studied in university. And I go to this team when we're building drinks there and I say, start with a story and build the drink from there rather than building a drink that tastes good and naming it. And the reason for that is I think that when you start with the story, it inherently becomes more personal because you've chosen something that you have a, an interpretation of, but it also informs you know, the flavors, the spirits you use, the glassware, the presentation, everything kind of flows from you wanting to express that story. And what is a library, but, you know, a room full of stories. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, I think for me, sourcing that inspiration, like I consume, you know, as many movies as I can. Like I read still a lot, uh, which is harder and harder given, given my schedule. But, you know, I also always have music playing in my office or in my apartment and just trying to find things that I can reinterpret through a cocktail.
1: I know you have to work for a hotel here, so schedules and marketing and all these things have to align. But how much lead time do you typically get or would you want when you are renovating a, a menu? Is it you're told we want this done by here or do you kind of guide the process and say, I think we'll have it done like here?
0: I have a little bit of flexibility there. Um, generally, what we do is we'll launch a menu and a menu will run for a full year, but we'll do a six month refresh on it where we sort of look at like the bottom three or four drinks that aren't performing and we swap those out to sort of bring them more in line with something that's that's a bit more seasonal or that the servers are saying, you know, guests are asking for more drinks like this. We try to slot those in. It depends on the outlet, how much time we have. So we're at the end of February right now and we're looking to launch the new clockwork menu mid. April, so we're starting right now. Like I've told the team, these are the kind of drinks I'm looking for. Start submitting ideas, uh, and we're going to be doing R and D sessions every week. That being said, the next library bar menu is launching in June, and I've already started the team on that. So library bar is probably like a four month build out. Clockwork is usually six weeks. Rain is usually about the same,
1: like four to six weeks. How many bartenders do you have submitting drinks?
0: um, It depends. Again, it depends on the outlet. In library bar, the whole team submits. We have a pretty seasoned team in there. And we had every bartender represented on our current menu when we launched it uh, with at least one drink. A lot of them ended up being collaborations between either multiple bartenders or a bartender and myself. Clockwork was principally all me, but I think on the next menu we're gonna have a couple from one or two of the bartenders. And then Rain, we have one from one of the bartenders and a couple of the other bartenders have started to submit drinks. So yeah, Rain and Clockwork, I tend to take a more heavy hand with designing. Library bar, because it is, as I said, like it is an expression of some really personal connections. I want the team involved as much as possible.
1: I love that approach. That's fantastic. I am curious about what you could tell us about the current menu, like where you got your inspiration and how you would describe it to the listeners. Or you know, a guest who just walks in and is like, wow, what's library bar? This is this place is awesome. And by the way, if you haven't been yet, this is a beautiful bar. Like the space is Oh, the room is bad. stunning. Yeah. I was yeah. we sat at the bar and I like the couch, I, I, the seating was, yeah, it, it's, it's a beautiful bar.
0: The It's funny that you, you know, bring attention specifically to the space because well before I took this job, I walked through the space with my predecessor and he was showing it to me. And I just remember looking around and thinking, man, I would love to do something with a bar like this. And, you know, here we are a couple years later. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but I do think that the space itself really dictated my approach to certain things there. And the way I describe it, you know, Like I said, a library isn't just a storage room of books. It's, it's a room of stories, which is kind of how I describe it. You know, people have been passing through that room for 30, 50 years. So many people have their own stories, whether it's like, you know, they went on their first date there, or they, you know, signed a big deal there. You know, they went there for a martini after they got divorced or, you know, tons of like all these stories that pass through there, the room itself since we did the renovation on it it has all of the things if you're going down like a like a checklist and you're saying well what does a library bar have and it's it's got books it's got a got all these bookshelves it's got bottles it's got these big tufted leather couches it's got a painting of a of an old white man above the mantelpiece but i love that in that space everything is done in a very modern playful unexpected way yeah we have tufted leather couches but they're electric blue, and it's like two different couches that have been like sawn in half and stuck together. You know, we do have this painting of, of George Locke, who is the the second head librarian of Toronto above our mantelpiece, but it was done by a South African artist in these like really vibrant teals and purples with, you know, wild brush strokes. We have our bookshelves, but the books and knickknacks on there are all like from all over the place. So it's arranged very, very playfully. And it's, you know, so many people come in and they say, oh, you didn't change anything about this room when you renovated it. The room is so different. But all the things that people remember are there in the broad strokes. So when people come in, they're like, what is the menu? I'm like, Well, it's, it is our attempt to create a similar style of cocktail, something that has roots in very classic drinks, but done in a very, very modern sense, very stylized with a fair amount of juxtaposition a lot of times we build our menu on genre. So rather than sort of having like spirit forward, like lighter, sparkling cocktails, we divided our menu up into three different genres for the current iteration. It was folklore, poetry, and science fiction. So poetry was kind of where we did lighter, more elegant cocktails, slightly softer flavors, folklores, We use like more rustic spirits, more rustic elements, really big, wild, kind of rough around the edges flavor profiles. And then science fiction is where we started to implement a lot of our stranger flavor combinations or weirder techniques. So that's where you might have like a house distillate or, you know, we did an infusion that causes a cocktail to react with UV light to glow. You know, we used crickets to make a liqueur for one of our drinks. So, yeah, it's it's. Us trying to, it is a cocktail bar, but it is not a stuffy hotel cocktail bar.
1: No, I mean, I was somewhat dressed up. I was traveling, so it's not like I had a, my whole wardrobe or anything. But there was, I want to say, a guy in jeans and a t-shirt. I think he had a book out, and he was kind of holding court with his little crew of people, like, <laughs> going through a book. And then there were people in suits, probably either came out of an office or were going to a theater or something like it was. A cool eclectic mix. The bartenders were fun. I remember I was curious about a bottle that was very much on the top shelf, and I was like, I wonder what that's going for here. And when they, when I just kind of asked, and they told me the price, she was like, So you wanted two of these? And I was like, No, no. and she was kidding. She was, she knew I was, I was not going to do it. But she was, I went to went to get it down, like kind of like had faked me. So it was, it was fun. Like it, it was a really cool experience. I definitely want to go back next time. I hit toronto i mean it's it's got to be the coolest bar there that i went to i I want one of the couches like that's how much i loved the the space so i mean it's just a super cool bar thank you love the theme i know you're working on the on the next one and i don't want you to to reveal anything too much but is there like a a hint of a theme you can give or like a a yeah so we want to play with we've we've settled
0: on we've settled on the three genres for the new menu without giving any drinks away. The three genres that we landed on were outlaws, explorers, and auteurs. So auteurs will probably focus a bit more on the writers and directors and painters and musicians that are very idiosyncratic and singular in their style. So you might think people like Kurosawa, Wes Anderson, Tom Waits, explorers, you know, the people that, uh, you know, push boundaries, I suppose, is a safe way to say it. And uh, outlaws, I mean, could be cowboys, could be pirates, could be, could be a samurai, could be any number of things. So, yeah, it's, it's a fun framework that the bartenders are quite excited about.
1: The first place my head went to when you said outlaw was Hunter S. Thompson. So (laughs) Sure. Sure. That is that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. What does it mean to you and the bar team that the library bar has been added to the world's 50 best discovery tool?
0: Like enormous. That's like, that was a very exciting day at the hotel when we found out. I think for myself, having been a career competition bartender, you know, winning a competition is great. It, it is one of those things though, that it's a recognition of one person's hard work on one day, which is not to take away from anyone who's won one of those things. And it is very, very meaningful and it changed my life to have won world class. But once I had done that, you know, I had to look at what am I gonna do next? And my goal really was to win accolades and help a team win accolades for themselves. So. 50 Best Discovery is the first step, but our goal is, you know, to become one of the the most recognized or widely claimed bars in Canada or North America or the world. It's tough. Not a lot of people come to Canada, naturally. So it is one of those things, though, that getting that recognition, knowing that it came about through the boats of people that visited us and had a great experience meant a lot. And the team and I are so proud of it and kind of just lit a fire under us for what we can get recognized for next year
1: every time the awards list comes out does not matter what publication organization i'm always bummed out at how little canada is represented because i mean there are fantastic bars in vancouver and toronto i mean it's just those two cities so it always kind of bums me out but and i i usually caught out my articles too or i'm like well, here's the awards list and no canada's not on here or there's one bar from canada on here
0: I mean, uh, up here, we know the score, man. Like, it's uh, We're a very, very big country. People don't pass through us naturally. If you want to come to bars in Canada, you have to come here. So I would say that since the addition of North America's 50 Best, since Canada was given kind of a committee for the Spirited Awards judging, all that stuff has put us more on the national field. I mean, we've never had a bar on the global 50 Best list. But immediately to have, you know, seven, on north america's 50 best naturally brought more attention to us when it comes to world class canada is the single most successful country in world class history we're the only country with three global winners we have the highest average placement of any country that competes so little by little i think canada is starting to get a bit more attention so yeah give us a year or two and we'll see we'll see what we can do
1: So I want to circle back on something you said about how you're not afraid to put a couple drinks here and there on a new menu releases. If it's not catching, you're noticing the numbers aren't where you want them to be. And you also mentioned that you want the feedback from your bartenders. Like these aren't what's selling our guests are asking for X. So what are you seeing as far as maybe like flavor trends or, spirit trends that are hot right now whether it's you know mezcal sotol american single malt what have you noticed it's interesting because uh i'm also in a part of canada that does not let's say get the best spirit selection
0: or it's not the easiest to sort of access uh new and interesting products but that being said like agave is on the rise as it is everywhere in north america from you know Mezcal to tequila to, like you say, Ricea, Sotol. I wish that I could get more of some of those categories. Like, you know, Sotol in particular is such a beautiful, like, expressive ingredient. So drinks like that, I mean, we are in a, in a point right now where I think the, the cocktail industry is, it's quite, how do I put this? I see a lot of trends now that are sort of mirroring what trends were when cocktails were at their worst, which isn't to say, I think cocktails now are at their worst, but like, you know, everyone's sort of circling back to drinks from like the eighties or nineties. And it's like, bars should be fun, which they should. Everyone's kind of like, Oh, we're, you know, we're, we're making kind of like house super juice or limestock, which, you know, if I look back to whatever, all the problems everyone had with cocktails in the nineties where it's like, well, everything just uses sour mix and everything just uses like bar lime. And everyone's using flavored vodka and you know, every gin brand right now has a line of flavored gin. Like this is so weird. Cause it's like, it's looking at it like a weird mirror image of everything where I'm like, we're doing it for very different reasons, but we are kind of doing the same thing. So I am starting to notice a little bit of a kind of people going back to slightly simpler cocktails, more classic in their style, more classic in their composition. You know, for a long time, it, it was agave. I am little by little starting to notice more people looking at you know, American whiskey, more stirred down ingredients again. But I think it's it's just gonna keep being sort of circular like that. You know, cocktails will be very serious at certain times and then they will get looser and kind of sillier and more fun and more approachable and engaging. And then it'll kind of swing back that it needs to be like, no, cocktails are serious again. I, I, don't, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle obviously but yeah right now you know it is it is fun to be able to put you know, a grasshopper or a cosmo on the menu and have people get excited about it or things like that it's it is pretty cool to you know look at someone do like have uh, miami vice milk punch and use these very modern techniques on classic cocktails so for right now it's cocktails are fun
1: which i hope it does stay fun like i said sometimes it gets a little too serious and even i get a little intimidated by a bartender i'm like oh i am not supposed to be laughing in this bar i'm supposed to be yeah i
0: i have no interest in going back to like (laughs) you know arm garters and a wax mustache and anything like that like i think those days are very thankfully done
1: (laughs) so for you what is your current go-to cocktail or your current spirit that just has caught your attention and you're playing with it for spirits, I really
0: love Irish whiskey. I think Irish whiskey is like such an exceptional category for making cocktails with. It can be it can be big and robust. It can be smoky. Generally, it tends to be fruity and and elegant. I just think it's a wonderful spirit and can kind of do a lot of what just about any other whiskey category can do. I really love you know kind of wilder white spirits. I love rum agricoles. I love Mezcals and and weird agave spirits, but my favorite cocktail, honestly, because you know, my, uh, I would say my, my tolerance has decreased significantly as I've gotten older. I really love like a bamboo an Adonis, like just kind of low proof sherry based cocktails. That's mostly what I order when I go out these days, because it allows me to still get up in the morning and feel human. But yeah, those are kind of where I live. There was a cocktail that uh, I was doing a lot last year that I really loved. It was an easy kind of Negroni spaliato riff. It was just Polaroso Sherry, Amaro maletti and sparkling wine, which was quite tasty. Yeah, so but like, I would say it's it's like it's like a bamboo. It's an Adonis. Like I'm usually going to be making something pretty low proof.
1: When you go out to other bars, though, do they is the bamboo widely known or the Adonis? Do you have to explain what it is or?
0: I would say most of the time when I'm going to like cocktail bars here, Toronto's like pretty stoked on Sherry. So thanks to a couple of like really early bartenders that helped build the scene here. Like I would say cocktail bars here in generally our city's kind of drinking population is pretty used to Sherry at this point. So usually it's, it's a pretty easy, easy. If they're like, I don't know what that is. Then it'll be like, well, it's just these two things equal parts in a glass, please.
1: <laughs> if you could impart, one or two bits of wisdom to a new operator KRG Hospitality we focus mostly on first time operators and try to you know get them through all the obstacles of opening but what advice would you have for someone who's about to open their doors
0: invest in your team for one make sure that you can count on them when you really need to and that they feel that they feel that i think it's really important that you know your team feels respected and And not in a, like, we're all a family way, because, like, everyone knows that that is nonsense, but, like, genuinely, you know, invest in them and empower them and respect them, and they'll do the same with you. But also don't be afraid to recognize that as much as you go into a menu or a concept or, or anything with a really clear idea of what you want it to be, be flexible enough to recognize that, you know, your guests also make your concept what it is. So, you know, if, if you are like, we are going to be a, like, bar that only serves baijo and cashew fenny and, like, uh, the, like, craziest, like, agricoles, like, if you're just putting, like, really wild, unapproachable spirits on your menu and the guests are like, I would like a margarita, please, or, you know, an old-fashioned, that's okay, too, right? Like, the guests are 50% of what makes up our bar
1: so that is some of the best advice i've heard i was just talking about this a week ago where i said you can have all the intentions you want but your guests are going to dictate how they're using your space so they are 100 in your concept I, I love that you said that so that's, yeah that's it i, I mean i think of, for me
0: the experience that your guests have you know that i it, it is the most important thing it's the only reason that we do it people could Make drinks at home or or you know have, you know, beautiful cocktails at home, especially after the pandemic when everyone, you know, spent time learning about drinks and stuff. People don't go out to drink or eat. People go out to have experiences. So like build that into your consideration.
1: How can people get a hold of you on social and follow all the the bars that you're that you're overseeing?
0: Okay. So myself on social uh it is uh, at old gray rabbit uh old rabbit on instagram library bar to
1: i can add it in the description <laughs>
0: yeah all of our uh handles that's but a lot yeah uh it's there's three of them yeah there's there's a bunch of them but also like through my through my account you can you can find all the bars that i'm working at right now but yeah library bar here at the royal york clockwork bar Rain bar those are where I kind of spend the most time and yes. And that's where you can find me. If I'm in Toronto, odds are I'm here at the hotel at one of the bars. So please come say hi.
1: Fantastic. James, thank you so much. And again, if you're listening to this, you need to make a plan to see this bar. I mean, all the, all the venues, but it is a beautiful space and I don't think anyone will I feel like I steered them wrong by going to see the the library bar and hey start your night at the clockwork in the lobby and then go to library and fantastic
0: yeah start start a clockwork have a glass of champagne make it a make it a celebration and then and then come visit us at the library bar
1: fantastic thank you so much for your time I appreciate it hey my pleasure have a good one Thank you for listening to the Bar Hacks podcast produced by KRG Hospitality and hosted by me, David Klemp. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Follow us on Twitter at AskBarHacks and Instagram at BarHacks. Talk to you soon.